In a lot of ways, that last song just about sums it all up. It's all by grace. And in many ways, it all began when by his blood, we gained redemption and salvation, just like we sing. By his blood, we have gained our redemption, which we're going to unpack today. If you turn to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 3, and we're going to be starting again today uh, in verse 21. We've seen that these verses uh, begin with two of the, what have got to be the greatest words in the entire Bible, two of the greatest words in the English language, indeed in any language. After all the bad news of Romans 1 to 3, uh, Paul begins by saying in verse 21 of chapter 3, but now, but now. Paul's goal in chapters 1 to 3 was to uh, bring us to our knees, as I'm sure you well know by now. And in those chapters, he told us that that's uh, what God's goal is through the judgments that he allows again to uh, cycle through history, that again and again have cycled through history to bring men to their senses, to bring men to their knees. In light of our depravity, to plead for his mercy. That's a good part of what chapter one to three is all about. And so in God's providence, we've been brought to our knees by his word for many months now through uh, this current judgment that is now circling the globe. And we've talked about that several times. Of course, we never saw it coming, but he did. And so leading up to what really is a kind of apocalypse that we're seeing around the world, a real revelation of our sin, of our idols, bringing our idols down in so many different ways, uh, leading up to it, preparing the way for it, he brought uh, us to our knees through 40 days of prayer and fasting late last year. Though, of course, we didn't know. Seeking God's guidance, if you remember, in a posture of repentance. And talk about a groundswell of repentance that God orchestrated in this congregation as scores and scores of you signed up to pray and fast through this 40-day period. I've never seen anything like it in any of the churches I've served. And so in his mercy, we were made ready for what's been happening this year. All along, since we launched into the Book of Romans last year, he's coordinated what he's now doing in the world with what he's been saying to us in his word all along. About our need to go to our knees, as in submission to his word, through the verse-by-verse exposition of scripture, letting the cards fall where they may, we've been progressing through Romans 1 to 3. And on that foundation, in a posture of repentance, for us anyway, when so many churches have come to a standstill, we are moving forward together, as we've called this phase that we're in of our church life. In so many ways, we're moving forward together, from the work of the transition team to the elder selection uh, and training team to our communications team to a 97% vote, which is unbelievable for our mission and values, to our staffing and organization team, which is going to look at how we're staffed and organized uh, to fulfill our mission and values, to our 
a strategic planning team that is in light of our mission and values, how are we going to make it happen this year? And in the years to come, to the launch of the pastoral search committee, uh, through it all, when so many churches across the land are slashing their budgets, a whole lot of you are remaining faithful in your giving. We're moving forward together. We're not dead in the water. And it, it's what, what's under it all that most counts. Under all of that, as I began by saying, from a posture of repentance that we are the problem, we can now open our hands in simple acceptance or accepting again of his solution uh, uh, to what ails our nation as we see in this greatest paragraph in the Bible where Paul says, but now. We can turn from all that bad news, but now, let's read it, Romans 3, starting in verse 21. Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace, we spent two weeks on that, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. We began by looking at how we've been justified as a gift by his grace. And then last time, it was almost a month ago now, we've been on vacation, as you know. Um, we, we now move on to the next phrase of what many have called the greatest paragraph in the Bible. So we're taking it apart very carefully through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. We've seen that justification means that he's pardoned all that depravity, declaring us not guilty, and he's given us a whole new identity. But it's more than just this new legal identity that bears no relation to reality. No, it's also a new liberty, this is redemption, that we receive immediately as a gift of his grace when we turn by faith to him to save us. It's like we saw last time, I guess it was a month ago or now or so, with what, what, what happened with Doc Louvier. Remember the story of, of Doc? Um, remember what happened when he got saved in that little white church? He got up and he got down and he got up and he got down in his seat and finally he said, one of, one of those times I had a notion that I'd need to run or I'd never get saved and I took off running all my might and when I realized how fast I was going, I tried to stop and it was an old cement floor and I started to go into a slide and the preacher, I was coming right to hit him, the preacher just opened his legs and I slid right between his legs. It was like I hit a home run. I ran my bases and I came home. And actually, that's what happened. I found my way back home. And what happened as a result? Well, the next morning he realized there was another pressing addition, issue, his drug addiction. He said, oh, my veins was beating like a heartbeat. I closed my eyes and I could see a rig and I wanted that fixed so bad and I was walking up and down crying, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it no more. I do not want to do this no more. Something had changed. 
And so on the fishing boat, said the narrator, Doc had started going through withdrawal. God had led him to go fishing again, which is how he earned his living uh, at the times when he was able to do that. And so he was struggling with his new faith, but he had stayed strong. God's love was real. Doc said, during the course of that 18 days, it was a rehab center for me. I got totally delivered from drugs, alcohol. I've never done drugs. I've never backslid for the 23 years I've been serving the Lord now. It's so easy to take for granted the freedom that we have in Christ, what he's redeemed us from, what we'd be without him. That's one reason why we need new believers in our midst to remind ourselves of it. The New Living Bible translates verse 24, yet now in God's gracious kindness, he declares us not guilty. He has done this through the redemption of Christ Jesus who has freed us. There it is through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. We're all Doc Louviers, those of us who know Christ as our Savior. If we truly repent and simply accept the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, presto changeo, we are freed from our union with sin. That is, it's no longer our desire. Nearly like it used to be. Just like Doc said, I was walking up and down and crying, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it no more. I do not want to do this no more. That's huge. Sometimes this freedom comes suddenly and permanently like it did with Doc in certain areas of his life when, we're, when, we, when we believe. Other times it it comes slowly, intermittently, three steps forward, two steps backward as we're sanctified. It doesn't mean sin is no longer there, but now we can turn from our sin. We're no longer united with our sin. We've got a new person in us, and so we can turn from our sin and call on him. That's the difference redemption makes, which is huge. We've been freed from our union with sin so that we can now turn from our sin and call on him just like we did when we first believed. That's how we're sanctified. Not by works. And just how does that happen? What's the practical application? Well, our new liberty means this. And listen carefully, it means what John Wesley said. He summed it all up. He said, every command in the Bible is now covered by a promise. There is the closest connection between the law and the gospel. The law requires us to love God, to love our neighbor, to be meek, humble, and holy. We feel that we are not sufficient for these things. Yea, that with man this is impossible. But we hear the good news of the gospel, the promise of God to give us that love and humility and meekness and holiness. And, when we, and we turn from our sin and we lay hold of this gospel and we call on him and behold, it is done unto us according to our faith. Sometimes immediately, sometimes incrementally as we seek him the rest of our lives. In Romans 6, 7, and 8, Paul tells us how to do this and we'll focus on that then but we are able to do it because we are freed now from our union with sin just as pat louvier doc's wife said at the beginning of their story lord i know you redeemed me you set me free but then she went on to say and i want to live my life for you 
You set me free and I want to live for you. And there you have it, really, the two sides of redemption in which he bought our freedom, the two sides of the coin that we're freed from sin and we're freed this week now for him. It's not just redemption from something. It's, it's redemption for someone. When, like Doc Louvier, we walk the aisle and we slide home to him, we're freed from our union with sin and for our union with him. And in that context, I'll have two simple points today under freed for our union with him. It's for a glorious purpose. This is the heart of our redemption, the goal of our redemption that came at a grievous price. Point one, a grievous price. Let's start with that. All three Greek words that we translate redemption emphasize the price. Ephesians 1.17, it's all over the place. In him we have redemption through his, what? Blood. Acts 20.28, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. This is to the, the elders of the church of Ephesus. To shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. First Peter 1 Peter 1.19, you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, but with precious blood. As of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Revelation 5, 9, worthy are you to take the book and break the seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation the cost the price the precious blood of the lamb just like we sang by your blood i have redemption and salvation thomas watson said great was the work of creation but greater was the work of redemption for it cost more to redeem us than to make us In the one, there was but the speaking of the word, and it was so. In the other, the shedding of the blood. Why did he pay such a grievous price? Well, because it would bring about such a, point two, glorious purpose. How so? Well, Paul tells us that he's redeeming, and we've seen this in other contexts already, a people for his own possession. Again and again, the scripture emphasizes this. Titus 2.14, he gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed, freed from sin, and to purify him for himself a people for his own possession, for our union with him. Ephesians 1.17, it was all for the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race, a holy priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. But we're not just any possession. This is nothing other, as most of you know, than a marital image. 
which Paul talks about three chapters later in Romans 7. He uses the image of marriage to describe this side, this side of our redemption, of what happened on the cross when he redeemed us from sin. He says that there we died to sin, that we might be joined to another. This is a marital image of unity, of the marital bed. Romans 7, 4. That is, we've been freed for our union with him. It's the same image that he uses in Ephesians where he says that he redeemed us, Ephesians 5, 27, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined with his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. In Thomas Watson's language, the marrow and quintessence of our redemption is that, yes, it's redemption from sin, but far better is redemption for him. We've been freed from our union uh, with sin, and we've been freed for our union with him to live for him and to be forever with him. Now that we've been redeemed, Paul says we are his inheritance. The inheritance of of the Son of God. Another translation says that we are his eternal longings coming true. And in Revelation, we see just what this means. After the hell on earth, you might say, of Revelation 1 to 20, we see what Paul means when he says light momentary affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of what? Glory far beyond all comparison. Nothing is more precious than what we are becoming in the eyes of our heavenly bridegroom. And in Revelation 21, uh, we see uh, coming down out of heaven for God, uh, from God when John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth pass away and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them and he shall be his people and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death and there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain for the first things have passed away. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. We're gonna be a peculiar people, we're told. And how peculiar will we be? Well, it, begin, uh, it begins with um, something as peculiar as Doc Louvier sliding home. A people as peculiar as I am, as you are. We are all pretty peculiar as we get to know each other. And in the great sweep of redemption history, it will end with those same people all together, having been purified and perfected and glorified, uh, will go from sliding home to shining from our eternal home. That's why he did it. Shining like, you know, logs in a fire out of New Jerusalem, which is going to be literally the sun of the new earth. Christ said the righteous will shine forth like the sun in the kingdom of their father, Matthew 13, uh, 43. 
And the scripture teaches that we'll each be like stars and together we'll be like like logs in a fire. Paul says that together we are going to attain altogether to the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ. Because he's gonna gather us as from the stars of the heavens and literally fashion us into a star-celled beauty. Clothed in a celestial city a ravishing beauty for the second person of the Trinity. I call that a peculiar people. It's the mystery of Christ in the church. Such will be the riches of the glory of his inheritance and the saints that Isaiah says that he will see us and be satisfied. When he, when he sees us, it'll be like when Adam saw Eve and said, at last, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, we'll, we will be the only betrothed of the only begotten of the Son who made us so we could be like him. Spirit of his spirit, flesh of his flesh, heart of his deepest hearts. We'll see, as C.S. Lewis said, that he who is above and beyond all things is so masculine that we are all feminine by comparison. Another man put it this way, as the father fashioned Eve for Adam, he is fashioning us for the son of man, for the closest relation to him. For in the resurrection, they will neither marry nor are given in marriage. For all such ecstasies and intimacies then will be with God. For the Father will constellate a bride for the Son as from the stars of heaven, from saints in glory, to marry humanity with divinity through the lights of the pilgrim journey through the likes of you and me. When purer and higher and greater will be as we sing our wonder, our transport, when Jesus we see. And then he concludes with this. It's a hard life. It's a fiery romance with him. Because he wants to be our consuming fire. He will have it all on the altar because he will have nothing less than our all. From our mother's bosom to our final breath. It's all fodder for the fire who will inflame every fiber of our being until royalty illumines the city with a nuclear bridal glow forever. will be more precious to him than the whole creation, more glorious. And the scripture teaches that we will be the centerpiece of the new creation, the crown jewel in New Jerusalem, which will be the capital city of the eternal kingdom for the civilization of the new creation, which we will oversee as his bride. It's all in Revelation and all through the Bible. And as we come down out of heaven, he'll say, arise, shine, for your light has finally come. Isaiah 60, verse one. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Just let the scripture sink in. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. It will happen.
This is a promise for all who know him. This is true in the midst of the COVID darkness. It means the sun is rising upon us for those who have the eyes of faith. And as the sun sets in this present darkness, we can, we can live in eternity's sunrise. That's hope. That's our greatest hope. And the nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. The sun shall no more be your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. Whereas you had been forsaken and hated with no one passing through, I will make you majestic forever, a glory from age to age. For the mountains may depart and the hills may be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. And my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. And then there's a prediction of New Jerusalem that will be a fire from the inside out with our nuclear bridal glow. He says, O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted, behold, I will set your stones in crystal and lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles and your gates of sparkling rubies and all your wall of precious jewels. For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. And then with everlasting love I will have compassion on you says the Lord your Redeemer it's all through the Bible from the beginning to the end and yet we so often forget it and it's no wonder that Paul's first prayer in Ephesians was that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? This is huge. Through the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. All because we've been freed from our union with sin and freed for union with him. Freed at a grievous price for a, a glorious purpose. You know, there's a song that's been going through my mind this week. I couldn't get it out of my mind. My mother used to play it over and over during the years of her widowhood. And I didn't really understand it that much, though I do much more now. It's a kind of sums it up. It's a simple old praise song. You may know it. Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. Not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. Jesus, my Lord, will love me forever. From him no power of evil can sever. He gave his life to ransom my soul. Now I belong to him. And he'll never let me go. Once I was lost in sin's degradation, Jesus came down to bring me salvation, lifted me up from sorrow and shame. Now I belong to him. 
Joy floods my soul, for Jesus has saved me, freed me from sin that long had enslaved me. His precious blood he gave to redeem. Now I belong to him. Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me, not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. You probably heard the story about a little boy in his lost boat. He carried his new boat to the edge of a river and he carefully placed it in the water and he slowly uh, let out the string that he had attached to the boat and he was just amazed at how smoothly his little boat sailed and he sat in the warm sunshine admiring this little boat that he had built and suddenly a strong current caught it and he uh, tried to pull it back to the shore but the string broke and it went downstream. Boy ran along the shore as fast as he could, but it soon slipped out of sight. All afternoon, he looked for his little boat, and finally, when it was too dark, he went home. A few days later, on his way home from school, he spotted a boat just like his that was in the store window. And when he got closer, he could see, sure enough, it was his boat. He hurried to the store manager, and he said, Sir, that's my boat in the window. I made it. Sorry, son, but someone else bought it in this, brought it in this morning. If you want to have it, you'll have to buy it for $1. Well, of course, the boy ran home and counted all his money, exactly $1. And he rushed to the store and bought it. And as he left, he hugged his boat and said, You're twice mine now. First I made you, and now I bought you. And what a price it was. As Thomas Watson said, great was the work of creation by which he made us, but greater was the work of redemption by which he bought us, by which we are twice his now. And he'll never let us go. You may have heard the story of Winston Churchill. When he was a young boy, this is a true story. It's in his biography which I, by William Manchester. You might want to read it. It's a masterful three-volume biography. But when he was a young boy, he strayed into deep water on, on their, their English estate. And the gardener heard his cries for help, and the gardener rescued him. And when his parents asked the gardener what they could do to reward him, the gar- they kind of hesitated, but then, uh, but then, they said, but then he said, Um, well, I wish my son could go to college someday and become a doctor. And they said, we will see to it. Well, years later, when Churchill was prime minister of England, he was stricken with pneumonia. And uh, the country's best physician, of course, was summoned. His name was Dr. Alexander Fleming, the man who discovered penicillin, among other things. He also happened to be the son of the gardener who had saved Winston from drowning. Later on, Churchill remarked this, rarely has one man owed his life twice to the same person. And we too owe our lives twice to the same person who created us and then redeemed us. And we're twice his now, freed from sin, freed for our union with him. Which is why the great theologian B.B. Warfield said that the words redeemer 
and redemption are the most precious words in the entire Christian vocabulary. He had come to Princeton Theological Seminary and stood in the Miller Chapel to, address, to, to, to deliver an address on the subject of Redeemer and redemption, one of the greatest theologians of, of the day. And the young seminarians were prepared for, you know, this difficult and weighty theological presentation from Benjamin Breckenridge Warfield, B.B. Warfield. But instead, he talked about just how wonderful these words are. He said, no title of Christ is more precious to Christian hearts than Redeemer. True, other titles are often on our lips, Lord, Savior, and others. But Redeemer is more intimate and therefore more precious. It gives expression not merely to our sense that we have received salvation from Jesus, but also to our appreciation of what it cost him to buy this salvation for us, a grievous price. It is the name specifically of the Christ of the cross. Whenever we pronounce it, the cross is set before our eyes and our hearts are filled with loving remembrance, not only that Christ has given us salvation, but that he paid a mighty price for it. And this means that though everything else is taken from us, and it may be, who knows, it's okay because we've been redeemed for our union with him and it will happen because whether in life or death, whatever is taken from us, one thing will remain. One thing, as we'll sing now, remains.